is a second loneliness, you could call it that way. And maybe it is precisely the fact that you have found a home and feel deeply loved. There is still a hole when you have found a home. Pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together. We have to understand that we're not each other's enemy. We have to say, let's move forward. It can feel daunting to not be perfect when you've got all these like perfect people. People aren't perfect, no one's perfect. To Germany. We're in, in our significant series at the moment and um, significant in the morning, significant at night. Uh, during the week, most of you would know that we had Dan McQueen's funeral here. A young man of faith who'd been married for six years. Five and a half of those years, he uh, suffered with, with cancer and finally passed away. But his wife and family wanted us to leave the word significant up on stage because for Dan, his faith was so significant and he was a significant member of our church. So significant takes a whole lot of uh, different themes, uh, for each one of us, but, but Dan was, was a neat guy and a very sad funeral, but he had a significant faith. He had a strong faith, so through that sadness, there's also some comfort and peace that uh, he's with God. You know, the challenge for us as we sit and as we listen each week to, to our messages is how do we react to this? You know, how do we take the word that we hear and do something with it? And I must say, as a, as a pastor or a pastoral person, uh, for a number of years, we're always looking for that kernel, uh, that, that key to unlock some specific, real biblical stuff or Christian stuff that is happening that will help the church to explode with revival, power, and blessing, aren't we? Power and blessing. But it hardly ever happens. But you know, Toronto and Pensacola have been great outpourings, outpourings of the Spirit. But, you know, the significant point is that God desires to explode forth, revive with revival, blessing, and power. But it's just that sometimes we put our own thinking and we put our own conditions on what that should look like. And, and, and we tell God how it should look. Then we sit back and just listen and wait. However, God does not jump to our demands. So this morning as we look to a significant person, we're going to look at a bloke who didn't sit back and just wait for it to happen, a guy by the name of George Mueller, born in Germany in 1805 in September. And in his words, he grew up as a liar and a thief. If you think raising your teenagers is hard now, you think 200 years ago trying to raise George. He pinched stuff, he stole stuff, he ripped people off, and that was before he was 12. When he was 14, he was rolling around the streets drunk while his poor mother lay at home, dying. His father sent him off to university or to a divinity school to try and straighten him out. And in those days, that's what you kind of did. You, you sent your family off to like a theology school. You didn't have to have any belief or any faith, but it was a place people went to kind of set themselves up in society. And George makes a comment that out of 900 students there, Perhaps only nine had any kind of faith. He was a spoilt, uncontrollable, 
little upstart. His father, that's a nice thing, <laughs> nice way of talking about him. His father used to collect the government taxes and then pay it back to the government. He pinched those as well. He'd go with his friends on holiday, stay at the Flash's hotels. He took off without paying. I hope young people aren't listening to this, getting any ideas. But that's who he was. He ended up in prison. His father bailed him out in the middle of November, 1825. So he'd obviously been to a university where there's some theology and God teaching and stuff. And then someone invited him one night to a Bible study. And he came across this place where people were praying and studying. He said, this made a deep impression on me. I have no doubt that on that evening, God began a work of grace in me. In me. That evening was the turning point in my life. The blinkers came off. The scales came off. George discovered faith. He discovered God just like that. This this morning, I want to read from Acts chapter 9 of another man who found faith through the scales fell off. It's about Saul. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but not, did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas in Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest us all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Almighty God, Father, we thank you that you are alive today, Father. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you meet us. Lord, at our point of need. Father, I thank you this morning of young people being baptized, standing up for their faith, at once doing something with their faith. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, as we share your word, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will minister to each one of us. Father, you know deep down, you know our concerns, you know who we are. 
Lord, I pray that your blessing will be here in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. These verses are so familiar, and when we read them, what really excites us is the magnificence of God to strike this man blind, for the scales to come off, to him to become a follower of Jesus and to go on with Jesus. We're struck by the supernatural of what God did to to one person who'd previously been arresting and persecuting Christians at, at that time. And we get so excited about it. But do we also get excited about verse 15? It says, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim. See, every person is chosen by God. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've had a Damascus Road experience. The blinkers come off. Truth has been revealed to you. The way, the truth, the life. And it may not be as intense as Saul's conversion. Has anyone had an intense conversion this morning like Saul? It may not be like that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had that Damascus Road experience. You're chosen by God. George Mueller had that experience as as we heard of meeting with God. You see, when are we struck by verse 20 that says, at once, at once, we take our faith and we do something with it. At once, you know, we miss God's purpose. We miss God's meaning. We miss God's desire for our lives when we try to live this comfortable, easy Sit on the fence, Christian life. Or we keep waiting, waiting for a new revelation from God instead of realizing what is actually right in front of us. Or we get worried about the future, what might or might not happen. We miss God's very best for us. When the scales fell off Saul's eyes, he could see again and he had something to eat. You know, isn't that amazing? The scales came off, and he had something to eat. What do we do when we become a Christian? Do we say, wow, like Saul did, wow. Saul could have said, that was an amazing experience. I'm going to have a feed. And he had a feed, and he could have said, mate, that was so amazing. I was struck blind, now I can see. I'll have something to eat. Has his feed, then goes home. He could have done that. And how many of us have an amazing experience of God? We hear about God, we learn about God, and we have a feed and say, it's enough. It's all too much. I don't want to give up anything for God. I don't want to experience any more of God. It's all too hard. How many of us have that experience of God and at once go on and do something? You know, we say, actually, I'm too busy. Oh, I've got things. I can't give anything up. I won't. I don't want to listen to God. Saul could have done exactly that. Does he listen? Does he obey? Of course he does. The whole New Testament tells us what he did. George's life changed on that night. He came to faith. He found, he discovered God. It was to me, he would say, as if I'd found something after which I'd been seeking all my life long. For George, George, it was that at once moment. And from then on, because he had a, a theology or the divinity background, he went to England hoping to be a missionary with the London Missionary Society. For eight years, he tried five times to be a missionary. 
Each time the doors closed, they seemed to go away. He was totally disappointed, totally, totally let down. He found he was doing the right thing with God, knocking on doors. Eight, over eight years, he tried five times. It never worked for him. You know, when he turned 70, he became a missionary. So instead, he went, he pastored a church in Bristol in England, the same church he pastored for 66 years. But that wasn't enough. He hadn't at once moment. He kept moving forward with God. He started up the Scripture Knowledge Institute, whereby they printed Bibles, they printed Scripture information, they supported missionaries. And then finally, if, if you know about George Mueller, they started this whole orphanage business. He opened up five orphanages over a number of years. He cared for 10,000 orphans. Over 50 years, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England because one man found God and one man had an at-once experience. He did all of this while he was preaching three times a week. And eventually, when he turned 70, for 17 years, he went out on the mission field. He went to 42 countries and preached to 3 million people. You imagine the early 200s jumping on a boat and going across the world, what that would have been like for a guy who was 70. And you know, we're not all going to be a George. We're not all going to do stuff. But we can do one thing. We can all have an at-once moment when God struck me, when God found me, and I found God at once. And it could be as simple as saying, as you sit there today, I'm going to go home, and at once I'm going to determine to read my Bible every morning. At once I'm going to determine to spend time with God. At once I'm going to help with the youth group. At once I'm going to help on Monday nights. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to do something. This God has so powerfully impacted my life. Old George, he prayed millions and millions of dollars in. He never asked for money. If people came up to him and said, how much money do you need to feed the orphans? He said, God knows. God knows. He never asked for anything. None of the orphans ever went hungry. And there's a wonderful story how they all sat down at the table one morning for breakfast and there was no food in the orphanage. No food, nothing. There's a knock on the door, and the baker says, I got woken by God this morning to bake bread for the orphans. Five minutes later, there's another knock on the door. The milkman in his milk cart, the wheel had fallen off the cart. He had all this milk. He didn't know what to do, so he gave it to the orphans. You know, he never took a loan out. He never went in debt. He totally trusted God. And when a, when a crisis came, when he had to pay a bill, George always said, How the means are to come, I know not, but I know that God is almighty, that the hearts of all are in his hands, and that if he pleases to influence people, they will send help. Such was the trust that George had in his heavenly Father. God is almighty. The hearts of all men are in his hands. And when God chooses to influence their hearts, they will give money. George trusted totally in God. One night, George had a Damascus Road experience. Paul had a Damascus Road experience. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have had a Damascus Road experience. And for Paul, as we know, it was a hard journey. It wasn't an easy journey. There was a journey of pain, of suffering, of disappointment. 
It was a tough time for him. He, he writes in 2 Corinthians, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was powdered with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger, in danger, in danger, in danger at sea. I have labelled and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But all through this, Paul continued on the journey. The moments of despair and pain and struggle didn't stop Paul. You know, George also, he had his, his sad times as well. He was married twice. He had four children. Two are still born. One son died when he was one. He had a daughter who died at 57. His second wife died three years before he died. He, therefore, outlived his whole family. How sad is that? And he was often ill. And 200 years ago, you know, the medical facilities were pretty poor. He'd often have to take off and convalesce and recuperate by the, the beach for a couple of months at a time. He struggled through the hard times of life. God was doing so many miraculous things in Paul's life and George's life, but there was also a struggle. You see, the journey will not always be easy. The choice will be always be ours to continue on in this journey. So ask yourself this question. Did I ever really start the journey of faith? That Damascus Road experience, my coming to faith, what is my at once story? Did I really grab hold of faith? Did I really understand God's complete salvation and love for me? Do I really understand what it is to trust God? As, uh, as Caleb said, in a few weeks, Sue and I go to Germany as missionaries with Steiger. And, um, and that came about because in September last year, I, I went home to Sue, and I, I, so I'm working here in the church, and I said, I think God is challenging me about praying about my future. I don't think it's in the church here in New Zealand. I, I think it's Steiger in Germany. And Sue said, I'll come. Sue's only ever been to Australia for a week in her life. Three weeks ago, I said to her, I said, you know, when I came home and talked about Steiger and you said, I'll come. I said, why didn't you argue with me? Why didn't you say no? Why didn't you say you're a stupid idiot? Because she does say that sometimes. <laughs> why didn't you say we have to debate and argue and discuss? Why did you just say I'll come? I said, now I have to go to Germany. In three weeks' time, I have to pack up and sell up and go to Germany because you said I'll come. Why didn't you argue with me? She said, I trust God. I said, I'm glad someone trusts God. <laughs> Her verse is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I'm glad she trusts in God. My faith is ooh, feeble. No, that's not true. God is good, and God is leading us there. But she said, I trust in God. And I trust God will open doors and close doors. And that's exactly what he has done. The choice on the journey will always be ours. And when the going gets tough, do we allow the journey to continue 
or do we slow the journey down to a grind to stop for whatever reason? You know, there are no shortcuts in God's plan for your life. There's always a stop-off point. We can always get off when the going gets too tough. We can always say, that is far enough, God. I don't want this anymore. God will never impose himself on you. Paul did not look back. He went forward for the glory of God. Paul did not stop. He didn't back away from the journey. He knew that through the hardships of life, God could be trusted. And for Paul, his conversion meant two things. The past is forgiven and God can be trusted. And you know, interesting about Paul, he doesn't live in the past. He doesn't live in the past of past regret, of past guilt. He was this incredibly bad man, killing, arresting, destroying Christians in the church wherever he could. But you never hear him, woe, the past. You never hear him stuck in the past. He's found faith, he's found Christ, and he's moved on. And George was the same. George, you know, was this rat bag from the past. But he had it at that moment. He moved on. He moved forward when he found God. The explosive power of God hits each one of us. And if we live in the past, if we live in the past of of regret and guilt, we deny the cross of Jesus Christ. When Paul speaks to the elders in, in the church of Miletus in Acts 20, He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let's be a people who are compelled by the Spirit. Let's be a people who are excited by the Spirit. George, that night of his conversion, he went forward, as Paul did, to finish the race and testify to the good news of God's grace. George, he was a bad boy. He did not live in the guilt of his past bad boy image. He knew God. He confidently accepted God. To say I'm a Christian and be haunted by the past or crippled by the past is denying the power of the cross. And you know, for George, at the end of the day, it wasn't about building orphanage houses. It wasn't about feeding the orphans. It wasn't about printing Bible literature. All that stuff's important. It wasn't even preach about preaching around the world when he was 70. For, for George, the most important aspect was to show that God can be trusted and encourage people to take God at his word. He said that God could give him the, had given him the mercy of being able to take God by his word and to rely upon it. And you know, we live in a great world, we live in a great country, we live in comfort, which is all good. That's all good to have lots of good stuff. But we also need to be challenged about how do I trust God through all of this. And George has also said, he said, I'm grieved that so many believers were harassed and distressed in mind or brought guilt on their consciences on on account of not trusting in God. This was his supreme passion to display with open proofs that God could be trusted 
with the practical affairs of life. George's bottom line was trust. Trust God. Everything that was achieved was ultimately to show that God, God can be trusted. And Acts, the end of Acts chapter 9 that we read earlier, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized after taking some food. He regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. At once. You know, um, as I said earlier, we had um, Dan McQueen's funeral here last week, this young man of faith, this young man of God. And uh, as, as I spoke at the end of the service for a couple of minutes, I said, you know, times are tough. I said, it's okay to blame God. It's okay to say to God, what the heck is going on? Why is this young man died? It's okay to argue with God and to doubt God. Look at Thomas in the Bible, he doubted God. It's okay to deny God. Peter denied God three times and both men get reconciled back to faith and back to Jesus. I said, it's okay to question God, and we have to. But I said, you know, it's not okay. It is not okay to leave this building today and say there is no God. Because when you leave this building and say there is no God, you have nowhere to take your grief and your pain and your sadness at Dan's uh, death. You have nowhere to do that. You no, have nowhere to take it when you say there is no God. You have no cross to sit under and say that it will be well. It will be well with my soul. It will be well with Dan's soul. It's okay to say these times are hard and God is hard. It is not okay to say there is no God because you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to go. The world sells us a lie. The world's no different than it was 200 years ago when George Mueller was running up and down the street being a naughty little boy. Kids are still naughty little kids, aren't they? The world doesn't change. The world, just the world. There's only one answer, and that is God, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. And when you, become, when you come to that faith in Jesus, in verse 19, it says, at once, at once Saul went forward. At once, upon his conversion, George went forward through the hassles and the pain at life, that life is. What is your at once moment? What have you done with your conversion to faith, your Christianity? What is your at once moment? George was 70 when he traveled the world and preached the gospel. We don't have any excuses. What is your at once? What has God called you to do? You know, the Christian faith is about movement. It's about being alive. It's about trusting God. It's about falling down on your knees and praying, crying out to God in faith and hope and love and trust. George outlived his entire family. Imagine how many funerals he had to attend. He preached at both of his wives' funerals. How deep was his grief? All through everything he was doing, how deep was his grief? But he never stopped. He never looked back from the journey because he knew he could trust God. You know, for George, it wasn't about raising a whole bunch of money. It was absolute 
total trust in God. Whatever's happening, trust in God. It's about going forward. It's not about stopping. It's not about being wrecked, haunted by the past. It's not about being held in grief or sadness about what's happened in the past. It's about going forward and trusting God. Oswald Chambers has this incredible, if Jesus Christ is God, where's my trust in him? If he is not God, why am I so foolish as to pretend to worship him? You know, this week as you go to your, your small groups or life groups or you're sitting around having a cup of tea or coffee, ask each other that question. In my comfortable lifestyle, how do I trust God? And comfort's good. Having stuff is good. It's all good. There's nothing wrong with it. But where does God, where does God work in that lifestyle? How do I trust God every day? How am I trusting God? How am I putting God first? What is your at once story? At once, what am I going to do with my conversion of faith? Every one of us is different. And this is not about putting stuff on people to do. You might be doing too much now. You're at once. Story might be, I'm going to start stopping stuff with the church. I won't be very popular if I encourage that. But you might say, I've got too much. At once, I'm going to stop doing stuff. What's your at once story? Challenge each other. Ask each other. How true am I to myself about what my conversion means? How do I understand how much Jesus loves me and died on the cross for me? You know, this could be a, a morning, a time. You may not be a Christian this morning. You may not really understand what it is to be a Christian. At the end of the service, we have people who will pray with you and talk with you. This may be a morning where you decide that actually, actually, I don't have an at once story. This is a morning where I need to reestablish my faith. This is a morning where I need to come back to faith in God and ask someone to pray for me, to help me move forward again. And we all need those times. We all have those occasions where we, say, where we need to be challenged about our faith. This could be a morning where you're saying, hey, you know, actually, I don't know if I've ever really grabbed hold of my faith and really understood what it is. And this could be a time for you to come forward and say, hey, just want to re-establish my faith in Jesus Christ. It's a personal thing between you and God. Let's stand this morning. And I'll just pray and uh, then we'll finish with a song. If you like prayer this morning, we have a wonderful team of people who will pray with you. If God is challenging you, if He's challenging you about your at once story, if He's challenging you about faith, don't leave here today. Don't leave here. Don't walk out here saying, oh, if buts maybe. Don't leave here being sad or, or shamed or guilt or the past holding you back. Leave it here. Leave it here. Leave it at the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Father, we thank you that, Lord, your love is so powerful. Your love is so real to us. And Father, we can sit in here and worship you and praise you, Almighty God. Father, we thank you that you forgive us and you forgive us and you forgive us. And the slate, our background is washed clean, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, thank you that you have a tremendous plan for our lives. 
But above all, Lord, you are a powerful God. And Father, I pray right now, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will challenge each one of us deep within. Challenge us, Father God. Lord, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.